Welcome, everybody, on this fine and freezing Tuesday morning uh, out of Fargo and great state of Iowa. Um, I am Nate, the CEO of Structurally, and these fine gentlemen are with Hatch Coaching. We're about to start our, um, what is this, our fourth webinar? Fourth or fifth? Um, 18th. 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 1800th <laughs> webinar, which is... Uh, <laughs> How to build a bench. Um, Eric and Robbie are going to be leading this one, giving us some insights into um, really, frankly, how they lost two thirds of their sales team um, at Hatch Realty. Um, guys, give us some background. Let's get this thing started. So when people used to ask me, uh, how much do you bench? My answer would be most of the game. Uh, and so it's fun to talk about benching once again. And so here we find ourselves uh, diving in. Uh, I'll give you a, a brief synopsis. Uh, in uh, 2017, uh, at that point, that was our highest year of production for our team. Uh, we, uh, we had 38 or 39 people. We sold 652 homes. Uh, in Fargo, North Dakota, which is a city of 120,000. Uh, the counties we serve in total are about 250,000, but our, our main metro is 120,000. And uh, we did so, we had grown exponentially and our team members uh, never left. Um, the people that we started with five years ago uh, and four years ago were basically still with us. And our agents were like the top of the top producers. Our, our average listing agent, uh, sells anywhere from what is it, Robbie? Ninety or a hundred homes for a listing yeah. agent. And the floor is about seventy-five, eighty-ish, up to yep. one ten. So yeah, average yeah. ninety, ninety-five. Yep. Uh, and then our buyer agents were averaging. You know, the floor was probably thirty-five for our bottom producers and ninety-five for our top producers. So we were averaging about sixty transactions on the buy side. Now, right away, if your BS meter is like mine, you'll say, how in the world can each agent produce so high? And it's it's uh, the leverage that we give them. We have uh, we have mm -hmm. showing partners, we have ISAs, we have great admin. And so the agents and their actual tasks of what they have to do on a regular basis is maybe different than most people's. And yeah. we had a group of people that had never left. Uh, our turnover uh, that happened annually was only coming from uh, us removing people from the business. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, somebody would move to a different part of the country um, or, or what it would be, or we would uh, help them uh, find their way out the door if they weren't the right fit. And so we had 90% plus retention year over year. Robbie, what am I missing here in kind of our background? Yeah, I think just to, to um, emphasize the point of a lot of people think uh, 90, 60 homes per person, that seems like BS and it's a valid thought. Um, I, I want to re-emphasize um, the amount of leverage and specialization that we have built in. When you say our team was, you know, 39 people at peak, um, that includes, um, you know, we have three full-time ISAs as well. So there, there's a lot of leverage to bring, to emphasize that point. There's a ton of leverage that we bring to the table as a value proposition to our team, frankly, and to our clients. Right. And so obviously the topic of this uh, of this webinar and for us to dive in is to really understand uh, how did we lose everyone and how did we uh, continue to sell more houses? Because I told you in 2017, we sold 652 homes. In 2018, we did 664. 
We sold 12 more houses while losing five of our eight buyer agents by losing two of our five ISAs uh, by losing a couple of admin. And here's what happened. Let's rewind the clock and I'm going to have maybe flashbacks here. So if I start twitching, you know why. Uh, in, in February, uh, we had uh, just an issue with the team member that didn't go so well. And uh, we had to remove him from our business. When that happened, uh, this was uh, a friend of mine, a good, in fact, a great producer, a hard worker, charismatic as the day is long, and the guy who was like one of the founders of the company. He was ingrained in the fiber of our business. And we oftentimes allowed uh, the little things to be ignored. And uh, if ever we're a trigger for anybody listening right now, I think that if you ever have a statement that says, oh, well, that's just Robbie. That's just the way Robbie is. That, that's just Robbie. If that's something that happens in your organization, uh, I'm guilty of it across the board uh, where we've just said, well, that's just that person. And we haven't allowed them to necessarily uh, be coached exceedingly well, or maybe they're just stubborn and they don't want to be coached. And we just ran into some problems uh, where we had to agree to go our separate ways uh, with this person because we had said, that's just Robbie for far too long. And uh, we needed to look out for the betterment of our company and uh, our agents. We knew that he was tied directly to uh, another agent. And so we expected that person to go. And sure enough, they did. Um, those issues happen. And the mistake that we made uh, is that uh, it was never a big thing. It was just a whole lot of little things. And it started to impact our, our culture and our energy. And we didn't realize um we didn't realize that this person will be better off without us and that we would be better off without them. But I'm so thankful for the time that person put into our organization because it has been a, a huge gift. So we had to let somebody go because of culture and they just didn't necessarily fit anymore. Uh, they had uh, another agent attached to them. So there we lost two of our eight buyer agents. Uh, so now we're down to six. Um, we had a gal blind side us. She, again, was part of the original group. Um, we never thought she would leave. Uh, I thought that she was a lifer, uh, and I thought that she, uh, she was going to be with us uh, until the end of days. And she came to me, blindsided me a few weeks uh, after uh, we had let that previous person go. And what happened is she said, um, I, I want to I work less, and I want to make more. And I can't do that here. And so I'm going to go out on my own. And I just, I was flabbergasted. She didn't talk to me about uh, a compromise or a way to build it, a way to, to grow and just totally walloped me. Mm -hmm. uh, she then was connected to another agent on our team really well. And we knew we would lose that person and, and we sure did. Mm -hmm. uh, Robbie, you, you posed some really great questions as we watched this gal leave. Mm -hmm. uh, what's some of that insight that I think some of the people listening and tuning in right now can maybe uh, absorb so they can avoid some of these pitfalls? So I, I'll simply say this, that, that when it came to losing that person, um, what really hurt about it was we are traditionally a place that prides ourselves on connecting with the people in our world and helping build a runway for them. And what really stunk was we didn't hear she wanted a different runway until she walked into your office right there. And, and literally said, this isn't the right fit for me. And, mm -hmm. it, 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 and, and that wasn't on her, it was on us. Um, because yep. what we realized was 
um, the person that she was expected to be connecting with that was a leader in the organization was the person that we had to let go. And that person wasn't necessarily the best fit to dig in to the people that they were leading and try to find out what their needs, wants, and desires were. And what really happened in all of this, and I think upon reflection, is um, she slipped through the cracks. Um, we didn't connect with her. We didn't make her feel valued. And her leaving wasn't on her anymore because um, that's what the ship is. It was on us. Um, I think the big thing is it's so easy for things like that to happen, to have somebody in the wrong position, graduate somebody in incompetence who's a top producer, to be the leader when they don't do leadership things. And I think that was one of our pain points. And, and that was just all the culmination. Losing her was a piece of that. Um, so I would, it, I would Oh, go ahead. Sorry, dude. Uh, my D's go. bigger than yours. So here we go. Uh, <laughs> uh, three words are the reason that we lost this scale. She became invisible. There you go. And it wasn't because we didn't love her and care about her she wasn't our top producer so she wasn't always celebrated uh she wasn't the bottom rung where we had to give a lot of pressure to her and attention she was just our steady betty middle of the pack unbelievable team player and she became invisible to us and in your organization right now i dare you to try to figure out who's invisible because there's some of them out there right now and it's dangerous I don't care. Nate, your team is how big at structurally? Okay, seven. One of the, one or two of those people right now probably feel invisible. I uh, hate to break it to you, man, uh, but they, they might be dreaming of a life where somebody pays more attention to them and loves them a little bit more and appreciates the, all the stuff they do because they're pouring in. And, mm-hmm. and the same goes for everybody else tuning in. It's, it's, it's a big problem. So an, enough about our sob story. Our, our, our last agent moved across the country. Two of our ISAs, one moved across the country and the other one we coached out. And so now all of a sudden we had eight buyer's agents and five of them were gone. We had five ISAs and two of them were gone. We were, man, I, I didn't think for the life of me, we could have sold as many houses as we did. And somehow when I ran the numbers at the end of the year, uh, we sold 12 more. And 12 more is not a huge number, but when we lose literally 65% of our producing agents mm-hmm. and, and, and and top producers at that, awesome. we still yeah, managed I, to I sell more. You guys it's it's been a while. Enough. I know um, yeah. you guys are kind of going out your way to be vulnerable here on this webinar. And I appreciate that a lot. I think everyone, including myself, can certainly learn from from all of your growing woes. Uh, what, what do you call it? Failing failing forward? I We, we coined the term. Yeah, Mistakes. we coined the term on our some of our past <laughs> webinars. And you guys are great at it. Failing forward, um, yes, so sir. Can you kind of, <laughs> uh, uh, I appreciate you guys. You guys are wonderful uh, at yeah, failing. Can you tell yeah, me I appreciate bit, that like, encouragement, Nate. I know you said you were blindsided <laughs> by some of this. Were you preparing your team to fill these vacancies um, prior to these these yeah. people leaving? And if so, how? Uh, if you would have told me that person A and person B, the first two examples that I gave, if you would have told me that they were leaving our organization and we weren't expecting it, would we be prepared for the storm that's about to hit? Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. I, I had no idea. And it's no. not just the production storm. 
that that's the thing that's so easy to talk about and we can glamorize to say we sold more houses uh mm -hmm. even though and we're going to talk about building that bench and how to do it and how mm -hmm. to bomb proof yourself but the biggest bomb that's been the hardest piece that we're still in triage over is how our team members feel Mm. Uh, are they walking around uh, tiptoeing, afraid of stepping on a landmine that we have planted in our organization? Mm -hmm. And how we treat people in good times, in bad times, set minds off all around our world. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example, Nate. Uh, if it's structurally, you come in tomorrow and you fire someone because that person has pissed you off, they haven't met their standard, and maybe you've talked to them one time or maybe you've talked to them a hundred times. Everybody sees what you're doing, whether your organization, your organization is seven people or 700 people, they see how you handle that situation. Mm -hmm. Now, if somebody gets away with murder and you allow that person to always, oh, that's just Nate. If you allow that person to continually just be Nate uh, and you don't help them get better, everybody sees that too. And that also creates landmines where they understand that there's not a many landmines and so they can step wherever they want and bring in whatever crap they want into the business and mm -hmm. uh, pollute the water and bring some toxicity in there and for us that's been our hardest piece with all this is uh, yes we had we had the bench built to, to work on production uh, it has been uh, a time suck among all time sucks if you don't have the right environment that's set up to retain people it mm -hmm. is such an exhaustion for your leaders and it it instills such doubt in your people if folks come and go quickly. Robbie, mm -hmm. I know you have some thoughts on that. Yeah, so I just I want to add to this. I, I would say actually when we first started building the bench, um, for the most part, I think we failed to envision a world where these people weren't in our world. Therefore, we never really saw it as a bench. We saw it as specialization and leverage, mm -hmm. having more yeah. of a pathway. And really what it became was it, it, it's a bench that's our insurance policy on the business now. It, it's those those backups. And, and honestly, we kind of fell into it. I think we had a little, you know, it was, it was intentionally unintentional <laughs> or maybe vice versa. Uh, but mm -hmm. I think we went into it uh, creating leverage for those people, for the people that we just talked about that ended up leaving. What's great about it was when, when they came in, they were learning from those people. They were learning how to go and produce. Mm -hmm. And... When they did end up leaving, of course, they could, it was a one-to-one -one translation. But we kind of unintentionally fell into it you know, at the same time. So I, I think there are two types. I'm, I'm backwards with my camera there. There we go. I, I think there's two types of benches uh, that people have in the real estate industry, wide and deep. A wide bench looks like this. Uh, if in our world uh, you do six or 700 transactions, um, a lot of people will have a team of 50 or 60 or 70 that support that number of transactions. That's mm -hmm. a wide bench. That, that means you have 40 or 50 or 60 salespeople. And if one or two leaves or if 10 leaves, you got other people that can pick up and do that business. Mm -hmm. And that is a common model in real estate. It is mm -hmm. not a bad model. There, there are not necessarily right and wrong models. There's just models that have consequences with the choice that you make. The model that we have decided on is to have a model that's very deep and not mm -hmm. wide. Mm -hmm. As we've talked about a couple of times, is we have uh, our, if a lead comes in and the lead comes in right here, uh, the ISA takes care of it. The ISA mm -hmm. hands off an appointment. They don't hand off leads, they hand off an appointment and that comes right here. 
And now the agent is converting that, but the agent is also partnered with a showing partner. Uh, on our listing side, we also have listing partners. And so they're sandwiching that. And then when it comes to uh, the details, we have our transaction coordinators. And then of course we have a whole world and ecosystem that supports those people. And here's what happened is every person in our organization, we think uh, at least our agents in production are Navy SEALs. And I heard Ben Kinney say once that you can only have Navy SEALs if you also have a Navy. And it's a really great point. The, the only way that you can have your next Navy SEAL, your next man or woman up is if you have other people still playing in your ecosystem that's ready to move up. Uh, the football team in Fargo that uh, that I love and Robbie tolerates is the North Dakota State University by uh, I'm, I'm an alum of NDSU uh, and uh, they've won seven of the last eight uh, FCS national championships and they have a philosophy they just graduated 24 seniors and they have a philosophy that is the next man up that everybody is in that system and they understand the values and maybe they didn't get all the playing time right away but they've been instilled in that system for years and they're ready to go into the game when called upon. And if you can create an ecosystem that's next man or next woman up, and that has become a training ground for your next level of talent, if you have a year like we did, we lost 65% of the producing agents and, and, and the work that they do, and we still sold more houses. It's because the system was set up for somebody to win rather than simply relying on a couple of people and we're screwed and out of luck if they're gone. True. I, I want to add to that, by the way, as well. I, I think one of the things that, that I've realized about um, entering real estate is, is the typical model is broken. And this is why I struggle with the going wide model is the turnover rate is not just in terms of are they um, going to be on your team, but are they still in real estate a year later is very minimal. Um, and what's really kind of an interesting idea about every single person, whether they're still with us, Eric, or not, is I believe every single person that we brought in as a showing partner, almost everyone is still in real estate. And Not almost everyone. Every, every, every showing partner and every agent we've ever brought in is still in production. Still in production, even if they're not with our team. And that's, that's, over I, five, that's over five years, yep. Five years. And, and I think that's a testament to – most people that are in the wide model, obviously we know the, the burnout rate is what, 80, 90% by, by year two in, in this game. For us, um, the entry into real estate is broken in the sense that you come in and, and this is what you walk into is you have no training uh, or minimal training. You don't make any money for six months to a year. And if you're making money, it, it doesn't come for at least four or five months. So you don't attract top tier talent because top tier talent's like, I can't weather that. Um, what we found is when we created this bench is it was a way for us to attract top talent, come on in, you get to learn from a top producing agent, you're gonna be leveraged for them, and along the way you're gonna get paid uh, to do mm -hmm. so. And so, I Eric, think that's I know one of the biggest thing that, things that, that um, the reason we chose to go on, deep um, is the wide versus um, deep models is kind of a good ratio of closed volume per team member. Could you share how many people are on your team and uh, how many transactions you did again? Uh, so, so we've studied this model at pretty great length. Uh, I'm fortunate to be in a, a network with some of the top real estate teams in the country. Uh, so I've investigated what a healthy team really looks like. 
And what I like to compare is I like to compare the number of people on your team, not just agents, but the number of people on your team and compare that side by side with the number of transactions. In our world, we finished out 2018 with 34 team members and we did 664 transactions. Okay. Simple math. And the rule that I'm applying here is the rule of 20 to one. Um, I think that you have the capacity on a healthy team of doing 20 transactions for every team member. That is if you're choosing the deep model, the wide model looks different. I have, uh, I have friends who have a hundred agents on their team and they're doing 1200 transactions. That means they're doing a 12 to one ratio. And again, that's a fine and fair model. It's just not the model that we are choosing to do. Mm -hmm. In our world, I believe that uh, 20 transactions for one team member is healthy. If you can do 22 or 23 or 24, you're going to enter into a better profit and a better sustainability. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the people I have the privilege of coaching, we've been talking about this number at great length. And they see a gap because they're seeing that they're inefficient right now, that they uh, either have agents uh, who are newer, who aren't producing at this higher capacity, or they've overhired on admin, or maybe they've hired too soon because they want leverage in their life. And those are okay to be at a 15 to one or 16 to one ratio. If I think you're as the team leader still in production because you can afford more hiccups. Okay. Um, uh, Teresa, you asked, does the team member count staff? No, I'm talking staff and everyone. Yep. Staff and everybody, not just producing agents. Because if I told you in our world, we have, uh, this year we have five buyer agents, three listing agents, and, uh, two soon to be three expansion partners. If I told you we have a team of 11, uh, that's going to sell 750 to 800 homes. It's just not possible. I don't think a team of 40 can do that. Uh, but, and we can do that with 11 agents in production. So it's a very specific way uh, to break this down. And we have to be very careful if somebody says, my agent sells 60 yeah, or 70 uh, houses Robbie, a year. Robbie, you anything to add on that? Awesome. But what kind of leverage and support do they have? And, awesome. and that so 20 to one ratio kind of number that, is, I think, the healthiest team, way to get there. Well, your shrinking team and then growing team again. <laughs> oh, thank you. you we kind of covered what caused them to leave. What were you doing to train up your bench? What were you doing to train those replacements um, as they were coming in? You kind of mentioned you put them in a position to start learning, but how did you graduate them up to take over that position when those vacancies arose? So let me touch again on a point that Robbie made because it is not to be breezed over quickly. When we can get people and their entry point to come in with certainty rather than uncertainty, the real estate model as a whole asks for agents to come in with uncertainty, mm -hmm. uncertainty of when their first transaction is going to close, when they're actually going to get paid, uh, how they're going to get trained. And for most, most people, they go to a two week course and they're handed the keys to people's kingdoms, but they have no idea how to actually implement and deliver. And for us, we believe that that is insufficient for our clients. Our clients deserve better than that. And if you're watching, let me lean in here. Okay. Your clients deserve better than just even closer. Your clients deserve better than people just showing up and getting the privilege of working with clients. They deserve better. Okay. Good. Is that good? Is that up close? <laughs> and, and and here's why we shouldn't be practicing on our clients. 
When we bring people in, we bring them into the showing partner model or the listing partner model. You cannot sell real estate at Hatch Realty unless you start off as a partner. And I have stories upon stories of people who are making $80,000 a year as uh, managers and, and uh, as uh, engineers and everything across the board. And they took more than a 50% pay cut to come in to our entry point. And our entry point got people in. And now we have literally, we have six steps to our business that every step along the way, people can grow and graduate to take on more responsibility. Uh, mm -hmm. And they train while they're getting paid. But there here's the go. beauty. Here's the beauty is we have Navy SEALs in our organization. We have some people that are the best of the best. And the only way that they can produce and maintain that lifestyle is if we give them leverage. And so our leverage are these partners. Mm -hmm. This partner model is the leverage for our Navy SEALs so that they won't pick up and leave. Mm -hmm. I want Navy SEALs in my organization. I don't want a bunch of people who are just in the reserves. I want people who are shining superstars. And so we build this model and as people graduate and as they step up, you start here as a showing partner. You're in that role for a year and you have to do X number of deals from your own sphere. You get a referral for that, that you bring in. Uh, mm -hmm. But th th this is going to be really important because I'm going to walk through these five steps here. Uh, and we start here with a base pay uh, uh, in our average sales price here is 235,000 bucks. And so we start with a base pay of 30,000 bucks, meaning from day one, you are not having to go and chase after that, uh, that commission. You're not going to have to wait four to six months to hopefully get a paycheck or to have a spouse or a trust fund that's going to support you. You can come in right away and make a, a moderate salary then uh, you have to do at least eight deals from your sphere that year, open house and sphere. Once you've done that, you can graduate to showing partner plus. I should make a sidebar here before I go too far, is that these partner models are paid by the agents that use them as leverage. Um, we have a, 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 a series of steps that, that uh, I can talk through people with, uh, but we would digress on a different path there. So if you are interested, please shoot me a message and I'm happy to share with you. Uh, Robbie and I made a great video on these different steps uh, for showing partners and how to compensate them. Mm -hmm. So after we start with the showing partner, then we move to the showing partner plus model. That means you can now start working with buyers that you bring in under the tutelage of the team or the agent that you're partnered with. Then you're a buyer agent phase one, and then a buyer agent phase two, and then a buyer agent plus, which means you can start working on listings as well that you bring in. And then you can even graduate to be an independent agent on our team, which simply means you don't receive team leads anymore. You're on your own, but you still get all the leverage and support. You're still a part of our ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And as we do that, we've built now a at least six year plan for our agents. And we told you of the gal that left uh, um, some odd 10 or 11 months ago. And here's what she said. She said, uh, even though we, we di dissected and figured out that we were treating her as somebody who was too invisible, she said, I, I want to work less and I want to make more. And if Robbie says to me, Eric, I want a higher commission split, most of our answer is what? No chance. Right? No. Sorry, I used to be a buyer agent on a team, loved them, uh, went to them and said, I want to start a higher split because I'm doing 70% of the business myself. Uh, mm -hmm. And their answer was no. Mm -hmm. And I would have built them an empire, but they said no. So I picked up and I left. 
-hmm. And what we have to say is we, we have to say yes when. That's a huge takeaway right now. I hope that you write that down is don't say no. You say yes when. And when that opportunity shows, now we all of a sudden have a chance to build up to get Navy SEALs. But I want to get back to the original point of the webinar here, Nate, because it is not lost on me by any means, is the idea of building a bench only happens when you have people at different points. Now, in the wide model, you can have everybody as an agent, and if people leave, you just put in more agents. I think that our model is you have everybody at different steps and at different points. And if your Navy SEAL is up here, these new folks come in and they do three things in this order. If you're a showing partner, the first thing you do is you leverage this Navy SEAL. Okay, You are leveraging that agent. That means inspections and showings and everything else. You are there to leverage this person because this is my shining superstar right here. And I'm tired of losing them. I lost some of them and I don't want to do that again because I love these people. I have years of training and I know they're going to crush it if they go on their own. Our world is better with these people here. But here's a sidebar is these people also give me huge headaches because they're talent and talent pushes. Robbie's the most annoying person in my universe, guys. And the reason why is because he's talent and talent pushes. And I don't want an environment that has a whole bunch of yes men and women. I want people to challenge me. And I don't, I don't, want, I don't want a bunch of followers. I want a bunch of leaders in my organization. And so as we have our Navy SEALs up here, these partners, step number one is they're leveraging this person. The second thing they're doing is they're training. That means uh, going through role play regularly, having training partners, watching a whole bunch of videos, uh, making sure that if something happens to this person, they're ready to go. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the third piece in this order, first they're leveraging, second is their training. Their third piece is their lead generating, which is different because up here, their primary job is to bring in business. But I have to, I have to say this, Robbie, uh, on our team, um, mm -hmm. how many sphere deals do our agents average uh, in a calendar year? Just so deals that they bring in from their own procuring. It's going to be right around 20 some. some it is, yeah. yeah. It's, it, and you're exactly right. It's, it's 20 to 25 sphere mm -hmm. deals that each agent brings in. That's these agents, the Navy SEALs. Mm -hmm. These guys start off by bringing in five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, and we bring that all the way up. Mm -hmm. So that they're not reliant on waiting for the company to just feed them. Mm -hmm. We don't have right, right here. If, if everybody starts like this, you have a bunch of goldfish and the goldfish in your world will be replaced by other goldfish. As, as a kid, I had all these fish and they would die. I like every I did, no. So you'd say a prayer and flush it down the toilet and go and buy a new goldfish, right? <laughs> Nate, you're laughing. Did you have goldfish or is that just me? Fish. <laughs> well, I guess I wasn't good at taking care of goldfish. Uh, but up here, as you as you as you grow, you're getting sharks up here that can feed themselves. Again, mm -hmm. these are Navy SEALs. These are agents that will crush it on their own. And when they leave, it really hurts. When mm -hmm. somebody here leaves, you're going to be fine. You really are. But if somebody up here leaves, the only way you can supplement is if you've built people right here to start climbing their way up. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've done. 
I mean, I could summarize this whole webinar right here by simply saying, bring in other leverage to leverage your best people and mm -hmm. have them train on the job. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's the summation of it. And a bunch of you are saying like, I'm really wasting my time right now listening to it. It's really simple. And it is. It's really simple. Uh, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. Because for this person, I keep messing my hands up. For this person over here to grow from here to here, mm -hmm. Robbie, what does this look like for somebody to go from here to start climbing up? What kind of training and systems have to be there so that this mm -hmm. person is best leveraged? So I'll say this first off, um, in order for a Navy to become a Navy SEAL, there needs to be clearly defined standards that say this is when you get to earn your next opportunity. And you talked about a few of the steps, Eric, and, and maybe we should just send out and, and post the, you know, the, the pathway to an independent agent. Basically, long story short is it is dependent on you bringing in your own sphere of influence. It's a big check mark for us. Um, going from, you said eight to graduate from showing partner to showing partner plus. And then from there, the number goes from 13, right? From showing partner plus mm -hmm. to eventually become a buyer agent. Um, I, I think the other piece I want to talk about is in our world, we have very high standards for, for growth. And, and what I mean by that is my agents, um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, must spend an hour together in what we call a role play time. And we have a wonderful team member on our team named Connor. Connor's our full-time trainer and role play expert. And what he does is he curates content conversations and he leads that time um, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday for an hour, essentially. And that is when we're practicing. That's when we're failing. You talked about practicing on ourselves instead of our clients. Um, and I would say that that is one of the biggest things that has helped our team uh, grow is intentionally buying into that time. And it is the absolute expectation that you are at that. The only exception would be is if you scheduled a showing or, or something during that time. But I would say the attendance at that is traditionally 80, 80 plus percent. And that is one of the biggest growth pieces. And then again, very clearly defined standards. Um, are, the check are there any systems in place? I know you kind of mentioned lots of their, their um, those deals. Are kind of well, the biggest they things. have to source deals from their sphere of influence. But you had mentioned that you do supply them with team leads when they're, when they're not an independent uh, agent. What systems? No, they, they, they get, so they'll get appointments. Mm -hmm. in, in our in our world, uh, our agents uh, only work with their sphere, mm -hmm. their Mets, and their open house people. We have a very divided line right down the middle that mm -hmm. says, agents, you go after people you know. ISAs, you go after all the business that the company has paid for or procured through reputation or marketing or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Robbie, I know this is your hot button issue. Why is that so important? I, I think it really just comes down to this is that uh, who do you expect to catch more fish? Um, your father-in-law who likes to drink uh, a Bud Light and go fishing once in a while, aka a yeah, part-time right. fisherman, <laughs> or, or the full-time master that is full-time fishing on the lake. And our ISAs are the full-time fishermen. That's their full-time job. It's our full on focus. It's frankly why we created this podcast was to share that story um, and these webinars. Um, but really what it comes down to is when people have their one thing, they excel at it. And this is the problem with having agents do it is agents can't ever go and convert company leads extremely well, not because they're 
bad people, not because they're not trying, but it's because they're a part-time fisherman. And the system's flawed. So we clearly define that break. And again, all leads go to our ISAs. The other big piece is this, is that my ISAs hold the agents accountable. Um, the way our ISAs are paid, they only get paid when something closes for the most part. And they hold my agents accountable to do the things they're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. uh, here's here's one of the biggest ahas that I just had is when we have our folks up here, when we have our Navy SEALs and they leave, and if they have been nurturing a thousand leads that I've paid for, mm -hmm. uh, that I, I purchased through Zillow, um, and, and maybe they haven't converted yet, or they're a pay-per-click, or they're a, a referral that I handed off to them. When this person leaves, if you don't have a constant I actually think structurally is a nice play in this because structurally for anyone that's not an appointment traditionally is the constant. And if you were supposed to be talking to Jeff up here and Jeff is gone and all of a sudden Sally reaches out, the consumer gets confused on that quite often. Mm -hmm. And you have to make sure that you're protecting your business. And if you're handing all your business to your agents mm -hmm. and if one of them leaves, you've not only lost that person's production, but you've lost all the nurturing that they've by, done every, for like, such minutes. an extended period um, of time. And, and it will, it, it will me blindside your business black, and you'll so be broker than you want to be. You're not seeing me. Truth. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Um, so I appreciate you guys sharing all that. Um, systems, <laughs> building up those bench players. Could we turn the topic a little bit? And Eric, I know you've talked about it quite a bit that it hurts the most when you lose those Navy SEALs. I can see you. Yep, you look great. What can you do to keep those Navy SEALs around so that you're not losing them? Other than leverage, other than the leverage we've talked about, what more are they looking for out of you as a team leader? Uh, if, you, if your value proposition uh, is first transactions and, and money, they're going to be gone the minute that the the next train comes by. Okay. You see that? I played with the train. That was good. Uh, uh, I think your value proposition has to involve their bigger dreams and wants and desires. Um, we've adopted the language and we're going to use it till we're blue in the face that talks about how our job as leaders and our job as an organization is to build a runway for somebody else. Robbie doesn't work for me. I work for Robbie. Um, and that shows up in me knowing what Robbie wants out of his life. And I know that this year, Robbie wants to buy a rental property or two uh, in his neighborhood and uh, rent out to some college kids. And so it's my goal to figure out how do I help Robbie achieve that goal? And what do I need to do? What opportunities do I need to put in front of him that he can all of a sudden create uh, things for his family that he didn't have otherwise? Mm -hmm. uh, this is, it is again, so simple, but it's not easy. Uh, your value proposition cannot be around money and it can't be around leverage. Uh, it has to be around investing in that person's life. Mm -hmm. I, I'll, I'll be honest and, and I don't mean to uh, project on you, Robbie, but if every day I say, Robbie, what can I do for you? Mm -hmm. Why would he ever want to leave that? Uh, if, and if I'm sincere, I can't just say it like your, your, your words and your actions have to match up. And I don't, I don't get it right. Even like half the time, but Robbie knows, uh, because we have a, a close intimate relationship that I'm going to show up and work for him with great diligence. Mm -hmm. And the only way that I know that is if I have approximation to him, if I'm close to him. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we lost a couple of our people is because they didn't have proximity to key people. 
Mm-hmm. It's why uh, I'm, I'm a Jesus guy and Jesus had 12 disciples and I'm not Jesus and you're not Jesus. And so we shouldn't have even 12 people directly reporting to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should have maybe five or six or seven at the very most. And then to go exceedingly deep into those uh, relationships and then allow those relationships to go exceedingly deep into the next level. And so a scaled leadership model where somebody doesn't feel invisible, they have a voice, they have community, and they have proximity is imperatively important. Mm-hmm. I want to add to that as well. Um, Brene Brown, in one of her most uh, recent books, um, Daring to Lead, talked about how one of the biggest fears of human beings is the idea that they are not important. and not Irrelevant, I think is the word she uses, irrelevant. right? Thank you. And I think that that can go hand in hand with when we lost that person, we talked about the one that hurt. Um, Irrelevant is the same as invisible. Um, It goes hand in hand. And what matters is not always that Eric fulfills getting me everything I want, because sometimes it can't happen. What matters is he's making sure that I'm seen. And that is one of the biggest fears of human beings is that we don't matter, that we're irrelevant, that we're invisible, that someone doesn't care about us. And what's so crazy about it is we invest all this time onboarding people, training them. Why the hell aren't we investing the time to make sure people feel like they matter? And it takes 15 minutes a week or so, just checking in, making sure that person feels heard, understood, and valued. If you do that, that is going to undoubtedly help you keep people. When we lost people that we didn't want to lose, it was because we lost sight of that. We were that person that wasn't investing that time to keep the people that we cared about. So make sure you're checking in, finding out what matters to them. And it's going to change. What I want, for example, has changed drastically. One of the first things that I wanted was this, frankly, what you guys are experiencing today was I was one of the major catalysts of Eric. Let's go coach people. Let's bring this nationwide. And it came to fruition. And it's going to constantly change. But you got to keep checking in. And that's what a piece of leadership is, is making sure those people feel heard, understood, and valued. Or another word I like to say is they feel loved. All right. Well, yeah. I appreciate Robbie that, wants a uh, yacht now. So I'm just guys. kind of let's, like let's get some pretty tired let's get of one his, closing uh, thought from each of you. Hoity-toity, prestige worldwide attitude. This experience of losing two-thirds of your team. What's what's one takeaway you can give to (laughs) the team members listening and to the team leaders listening so, you know, they're not losing each other? Hmm. Eric, you take team leader, I'll do team member. All right. Uh, For the team leader, I will tell you uh, (laughs) that it's your fault. Um, if, if stuff goes wrong, we can cast blame and we can throw it aside and say, oh, that person was just on their way out. But I I think that if you're going to learn and grow and do better, knowing that everyone's watching and everything's contagious, Mm -hmm. you need to dissect every single person, whether they're fired or, uh, they leave, uh, whether it's expected or not, you need to completely dissect and figure out what you could have done different or better in that situation. It's never about them. It's always about you. And I didn't realize because what happened is we had grown as an organization. Um, I hadn't grown enough as a leader to adapt to our ever-changing organization. And it's on me. 
And uh, to play off of that, uh, team members quit expecting your team leaders to be perfect human beings. Quit expecting them to be perfect, to be the ones that are always going to come to you. Um, I think we can all have healthier worlds when leaders take full ownership and they're proactive. But team members, you can do this as well. Um, awesome. Well, I appreciate everyone's time on this very, very cold and soon to be snowy, miserable Tuesday morning in Iowa um, and Fargo. Um, hopefully all of you in warmer weather are really enjoying your lives. <laughs> um, mm. Make sure you subscribe mm. to theisaradio.com. Lots of really exciting content to come out. Mm. All right. Well, take care, guys. Thanks, Robbie and Eric. Appreciate your time.